Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome back to TV Gold, Media Week's weekly podcast about television. This week, we're going to be looking at Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, uh, a drama coming on seven. Gee, free to wear TV. Who would have thought? It's great to see. <laughs> then we're going to be looking at One Day coming to Netflix and Five Blind Dates, an uh, Aussie TV movie on Amazon. Welcome back, Andrew Mercado. Hi, James. Now, listen, just before we start, have you been to a, a strangely timed Christmas party recently? Yes, I know. It's so weird. I work at a couple of hotels. I do trivia nights in some and I, I, I do the accommodation desk on another. And, yep. of course, they can't have Christmas parties at Christmas <laughs> because they're so busy hosting Christmas parties for everybody else. Okay. So, yeah, we had our Christmas party on last Monday. Wow. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of weird to do that, but it's also it's also interesting because you have a Christmas party without any Christmas decorations and it doesn't seem to change anything. It just, you know, it's just an opportunity for everyone to take the day off work and socialise. Now, for people who might be interested, I've been to one of your trivia nights, had a great time. Just now they're in Newcastle. Just give us the names and the nights you do that. Yep. So I do trivia at the Cricketers Arms Hotel on a Tuesday night uh -huh. in Cooks Hill, the Lowlands Bowling Club on Wednesday night. And now I'm about to start musical bingo at the Lowlands on a Thursday night. So yeah, I went to my first musical bingo the other day to see how it actually is run and yeah so there's going to be a lot of music and of course i'll be it'll be really fun for me to do that because i'll actually have every now and then a story to throw into the mix i'm like oh yeah i interviewed cindy lauper once and she said to me you know because so many of those artists i interviewed and on my days at channel v and music max so yeah it'll it'll be fun uh going through a bunch of uh music acts now i can see i'm going to have to get up there for that too to find out <laughs> what's going on. Okay, look, let's get underway. Let's start with um, Australian uh, drama, which was our sort of favourite area, if you like, that we talk about most. Um, Five Blind Dates, it's on a movie on Amazon. Yeah, so this is an Australian-made movie, but uh, very much set in the Asian community. Uh, the lead actress, Shuang Hu, was uh, uh, Benjamin's older sister in the family law on SBS, so I knew her from that show quite well. It's good to see her in this role. She uh, is in a tea shop in Sydney, uh, and she's not doing a very good job of running this tea <laughs> shop, but... It's kind of, uh, she comes from Townsville and this is a production that has actually shot in Townsville and that's interesting and they actually made Townsville look really nice and everybody in Townsville should thank them because just quietly Townsville isn't the, the loveliest place in Queensland, um, but it looks nice in five blind dates and basically she goes home for a family wedding and a Chinese fortune teller tells her that she's going to have to go on five dates to meet her soulmate. And so off we go. So it's very much a rom-com. I don't think that this movie really does anything that remarkably different in the rom 
rom-com genre. Uh, it's predictable, but then people who watch these types of film want that. They want the happy ending. We all know where it's heading. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of cliched stuff in there, like she's got the gay best friend that's helping her out. That's being done to death now. But, look, it's all very pleasant. It's all very nice. Uh, Rob Collins pops up in there as a kind of crazy uh kind of meditation guy there filmed at Wiley's Baths in Coogee. Um, so there's lots of really nice scenery and some nice performances in there and well done for Amazon Prime for uh, doing something like this, doing an Australian story, but trying to do it a little bit differently to everybody else. Yeah, look, it's uh, from Goalpost Pictures. And I've got to admit, I, I had two cracks at watching this. The first night I put it on, I thought, oh, look, this isn't for me. I'm sorry. Look, I, I don't, I can't last the distance. Um, but then I, I had a bit of spare time the next day and I thought, look, I'll give this another crack. And I've got to say, I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah. When I sat down, you've, you sort of got to be in the mood. I think it's very, light. Right. um, but first off, I thought, oh, goalpost pictures. What have you done? You know, <laughs> cause they're one of my favorite production houses. They do some great work. But but they've actually done a pretty good job, and it's funny you mention um, Townsville. Yeah, they do. I'm just wondering if there was screen Queensland money in this, yeah, or some tourist dollars because they do. They make it look brilliant. The other thing I noticed was when they're in Sydney, there's virtually a tram in every scene. <laughs> there's trams running, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, it's probably a coincidence, right? But. It's just if you when you think of that and you look at the scenes in Sydney, there are same. There's a tram running by the tea shop um, that they do exterior shots of the tea shop, um, and then there's when they're walking around the city, there's trams running down the street behind them, and I'm sort of good because it makes it feel like a big a big metro city, you know, a, a, a big deal. So they do actually make Sydney look very good too. I had a couple of problems at the start. The the whole setup, you're going, oh, come on, as if when her grandmother leaves us some money in Townsville, so she d- decides to open a tea shop in Sydney. Yeah. I'm going, yeah, okay. So you've got to get over that. There's never any customers in the tea shop. No. Um, but there's a nice little gag about that at the very end of the movie, you know, which is which sets off what happens at the start because when somebody comes in and asks if she does bubble tea, she just flips out and boots them out and says, no, look, get out of here. This is traditional Chinese tea shop. You know, we have the the crockery, um, the teapot, uh, the loose leaf tea. So it's she always does a very – but there's never a customer in there. No. Quite funny. Uh, you mentioned the cast. Yeah, it's pretty good. There's a guy in there called – I think it T. Ma is how you pronounce his name. Yeah. T-Z-I. Looks yeah. very familiar. I looked him up and he's a guy who's just worked. He's been in so many movies in the US. He's actually quite a big star. And he plays, I think, the role of the father in this. And he does a, does a really good job. And he's, he's very funny as the dad. And both parents are good. Uh, you mentioned, um, Rob Collins. He's fantastic too. 
And look, yeah, I ended up having a really good time. And also, I don't know whether you noticed in there, Renee Lim, um, who was the mother in it, um, and she was kind of Josh Thomas's stepmother in Please Like Me. Okay. There's also an East West 101 when I looked up at IMDb, but I don't really remember that. But I definitely remember uh, his stepmother in in Please Like Me. So yeah, there's um, it's uh, it's 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 a nice, just a nice, harmless sort of uh. You know, a lot of people like rom-coms. They love to sort of switch off and do this. And I'm with you, James. It's not really my genre. I mean, I might seek one out if I'd watched the Jeffrey Dahmer story and I need to watch something, you know, a change of pace. But, you know, I wouldn't, you know, rush to watch a uh, a rom-com. Um, but, look, I think they've done a fairly nice job with this. I think people who like this genre will be impressed. Yeah, look, it's very it's not very it's different to maybe crazy rich Asians, but I think people who enjoy that, yeah, we're gonna have a good time here too, you know. I think yeah, there are some similarities, and I think this could travel very well internationally, this movie. Yeah, oh, look, I've got no no doubt about that. Uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why Amazon Prime have made this. It is Australian, um, and it's all Australian creatives and, and mostly Australian cast. But yeah, this is going to work really well for them internationally. Yep. So, fly five blind dates, a movie on um, Prime. Okay, let's uh, jump ahead. Look at. I, I'm. We don't often get a series from free to air TV, do we? No, we not really. Series no. to talk about. And look, even though this isn't an Australian one, it's created a huge furor in the UK. When this came out, it's just the reactions of the government of the viewing public has just been amazing. It's Mr. Bates versus the Post Office. And look at, at the outset, you'd think, oh. How could you make this an an interesting movie? It's about a a new what happened when a new Fujitsu computer software system called Horizon was rolled out across post offices in the UK. Subsequently, a lot of these small village post offices started to find out they were losing money and they couldn't work it out. They'd reconcile their books at the end of the days, end of the day, and they'd find out, oh look, there's a thousand pound missing. You know, and they, oh, look, there might be 5,000 pounds. And these losses started to mount up. And this tells the story of what happened, what actually went wrong, and the um, ramifications since then. It actually made me really angry watching it. And it actually, that first episode was really stressing me out because uh, just before I tried to watch it, I was having all these problems with my printer, couldn't get the printer to work. I went down to Officeworks, came back with a new cartridge. It didn't work. I had to abandon this project because it wasn't working properly. So I was stressed when I sat down to watch this. And then, of course, it started and I could feel the blood rising in me because I could see what was going to happen. All of these poor people who are hardworking people doing their job and this system system that is lying to them and they're ringing this helpline. And as soon as the first person on that helpline said, uh, 
th- th- this isn't happening to anybody else. Yeah. You're the only person this was happening to. I thought, bullshit, I bet you this is the tip of the iceberg. And, yeah, it, like it very much reminded me of the robo-debt situation here in Australia because this system that's being that has been done a couple of times now that is just awful whereby, you know, uh, a computer system comes to you and says, you've done the wrong thing, you owe the government all this money, and it's up to you to prove that, you know, you didn't do this. No evidence, no evidence that you've actually stolen the money except for a computer system. And it very much reminded me of RoboDebt, so it made me really, really angry. Um, and But that anger consumed into me watching all four episodes of it in one binge. I couldn't go to bed last night until I finished watching it. I was so desperate to know whether or not there was going to be some justice for these victims. Yeah, I was like you. I I watched all of these in one night. A quick shout out to Seven. They've got a new screening room preview system. It's just so good. It works perfectly. Yeah, it just rolled one episode in. Did it? Did it go from one episode to? The, I don't think it did actually. The no, Netflix it's one does that. But click on. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was just brilliant. So well done, Seven, for that. Um, yeah, look, it's it's so troubling. It's just it's so sad to see what happened to these people. The way they were treated. And, yeah. You know, and it's still happening. Even though there's a sort of a good, there was a good outcome. It's not completely settled yet. This matter's still dragging on. And as recently as late last week, Alan Bates refused to accept, on behalf, I think, of a lot of his sub-postmasters, the latest settlement deal from the the government because it was just not adequate. I mean, they've had some money, and this series shamed the UK government into finally offering some immediate cash payments to these people, but it's by far short of giving them all the recompense they deserve. And it's yeah. been called the biggest miscarriage of justice ever in the UK. Wow. It sort of prides itself on the, you know, the British justice system. Yeah. It's, it's sort of rolled out around the world and held up as the, you know, the um gold standard. And and this just shows it's certainly not the case. I knew it was in the news. I could see those stories, but I deliberately didn't read anything about it because I wanted to watch the TV series without knowing how it all ended. And watching the TV series, I was thinking, oh, they've made this TV series because clearly there is a good ending. I knew I'd I'd heard that the British Prime Minister had said, we're going to do something about this. But I still thought the miniseries would end with this kind of more happier note. But of course, the, the, the fight for justice goes on to this day. But James... What about, there are two things about this this series that are fantastic. It's not just the actors in it, which we're going to talk about in, the, in, the, in a minute, but I don't know whether you noticed, but every single shot in this had the most beautiful backdrop. Oh. I mean, the Mr. Bates character moves to Wales and lives in this valley with these beautiful mountains. So every time he's taking a phone call, he's sitting out in his garden and you're going, look at that backdrop. And then they go to an office and the off- outside the office window will be this incredible skyline of London. And then someone's, even the Will Meller char- character at one stage was sitting on his uh, steps. But off to the side was this incredible 
arched railway bridge and a house built up to it, three stories. And I spent the whole time like going, look at this in the composition of this shot, the scenery, whoever the cinematographer was, and a shout out to the location manager. They didn't miss a single moment to make this look as incredible as possible. Even we're going down the pub to have a pint and they're sitting there with this incredible mountain stream running behind them like didn't it just look amazing? No wonder so many people watch this show from start to finish. Yeah, that, that, that's, you know, and, and hats off to the production because even though it's telling a very troubling story, yeah, they still managed to convey the, the wonder of actually living in, in Britain and the great countryside you can enjoy when you're there. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, look, the... Yeah, this was, I mean, I couldn't because I, I like reading my English newspapers, uh, try and keep up with what's happening. And even though a little magazine called Computer Weekly initially broke this story in the media, that was like a decade ago. Yeah. And it's only that this, I mean, the series not only shamed the government into trying to do something, but also got the media off their backside properly, I think, to really cover this. I mean, this was front cover on The Guardian for days on end when this, this started screening in uh, Britain, I think, on uh, New Year's Day, and it went up against The Tourist, the second episode, and it actually smashed that out of the park. And so far, there's over, I think, over 10 million people have watched this. So, I mean, that's huge. You know, that's that's the sort of audience we're watching the um, Australian women's soccer team last year in the World Cup. I mean, they're just... These audiences, you don't hear of them that big these days. So it, it's really resonated. Um, and the cast, I mean, led by Toby Jones, who does, oh, does such a wonderful job. As how our- good is Toby Jones in the lead role? This this guy, Mr. Bates, he's so unflappable. I, yeah. I, I couldn't understand why he wasn't screaming <laughs> in the abyss in that beautiful valley he lived, but he never loses his temper. In fact, one of the characters one, says to him at one stage, you know, Alan, it wouldn't hurt you to lose your temper every now and then and he just goes oh it's not really my style he's always got a smile he always just goes well we'll just go back and we'll just start again and we'll keep fighting he refuses to give up but this beautiful performance between uh him and of course his on-screen wife is played by julie hesman Hall, who uh you know was Haley cropper in coronation street uh, so fantastic. Um, yeah, he absolutely holds this thing together. Yeah, he does. And look, there's it's not a cast of marquee names. There's a lot of familiar faces that show up, but gee, yeah. they, they all do an excellent job. Um, Nadim Zahawi, the um, British MP, plays himself in one scene and he, he, where he's grilling the post office uh, chief executive. At a at a parliamentary inquiry, and I I think it does him more favours than he deserves because he certainly wasn't out there <laughs> pushing for this when he could have been. Yeah, he's sort of he's made to look like a real hero in this. So so good on him if that was sort of accurate. If um what happened when he finally decided to get involved in the case? 
And did you notice one of my other favourite Corrie actresses in there? So Catherine Kelly played the blonde woman who worked at the post office and she delivered the most extraordinary performance in The Long Shadow last year as one of the victims of, uh, you know, uh, Peter Sutcliffe in that series. She was so good in that and she plays such a different role in this. But, you know, there was some, there's some great cast members in there. That Leslie Nickel in there from Downton Abbey. I was watching her like going, who are you, who are you, I know you. And then it was like, oh, you're the cook from Downton Abbey. Yes, I figured it out. Um, but, yes, yeah, some great performances. And also a real shout-out to the, the Will Meller, who was playing the husband, you know, the, the husband that defended himself in court. You know, I was looking at him like going, I know you too. And I looked him up and 20 years ago, Will Meller was this guy that was kind of, I don't know, he, he came from reality TV or something, but he was always taking his clothes off and, doing a spread in Attitude magazine, and he was very much the kind of hot young thing at the time. But it's great to see him now 20 years later doing some some incredible work in this show and uh, having legs in his career there. So, yeah, I, I just uh, I thought the cast was fascinating. Some well-known names in there prepared to play quite supporting roles in this. And, look, the acting was just extraordinary in it. it. It just, when we talk about how good British drama is, this is a classic example of it. There's not a false moment in it. You're watching it like going, I believe you, I believe this community, I believe, you know, it, it's just so believable from start to finish. Yeah, it absolutely is. Pip Torrens is another someone who drops up in the cast. He was in The Crown. Yeah. Um, he was in Succession. I think he played the British husband of the mother um, in Succession. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. And he was in... Um, Kerry Walleggan in Poldark, I think was George Walleggan's terrible father, was really mean and sort of, um, but he's great as playing the judge in this. But there's lots of people who will pop up. You go, yeah, oh, I've yeah. seen them in something. Exactly, yeah. And you, you want to jump on and look up what they've done. But, look, I hope a lot of people watch this. It would be great to get, you know, some drama happening again on, on free-to-air TV. Um, you know, if we get big crowds for this sort of stuff, well, the, the networks are going to start commissioning more and buying more because even though the streaming service is doing a good job, this is a way to make sure you get it to the biggest possible audience. So correct me if I've got this right, but I think from memory, from reading the press release from Channel 7 on this, all the episodes are going to be available to binge on 7 Plus when it goes to air on 7. But I think they're playing double episodes a night. Okay. So I think, and you know, it's probably not going to start till nine o'clock at night because it's going to have to come after a reality format. I can't see it in the guide for next week. I know it's screening sometime in February. Uh, I hope they're going to promo the hell out of this. But yeah, you know, when when you when you're doing two hours of a drama that's starting at nine o'clock at night. I think that limits your audience. So I think that Seven are kind of using their free-to-air screening to promote it. But I'd say that the audience for this is going to be on on Seven Plus and hopefully the word of mouth for it's going to be terrific. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's on, I think it's on at 8.30 on a Wednesday night. Okay, well, 8.30 is better than nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it'll be 8.30-ish, I'm sure. It won't start bang on, but... Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But, it, but that's good, yeah. And the, 
the the way to watch it will be to go to seven plus, of course. But yeah, um, you know, we'll all be watching probably on app soon and not um free to air TV. But yeah, more than likely. Yeah, that'll happen. Look, the next um series we've got and the final series we've got this week is one day that's coming to Netflix. She was 14 episodes. It's a big ask. But the episodes are short, James. Not every episode is one hour. The first episode was long, but I've watched the next two episodes. I've watched three so far, and, and they're, they're short. So, you know, yeah, I think it's going to move uh, all up. It might end up like being, well, it won't be 14. You won't feel like you're watching 14 episodes. I think it'll fly by. Okay, okay. Got to say, I didn't really like this. Look, I liked it in the sense that we've been talking a lot about how we love our British dramas, but they do seem to be doing their British rom-coms pretty good too. You know, they are doing a a, a good job, uh, maybe a better job than the Americans at the moment at at telling these stories. I think it's really interesting. I'm not familiar with the book. And I didn't watch the movie that Anne Hathaway made years and years ago. But in reading about this, I learned that most people who read the book were really unhappy with the movie because the book was this vast story. And of course, the movie had jammed everything in and lost a lot of the nuance of the book. And, and I think of if you're going to remake something for TV, that you should start with properties where people said, you know, they just left out so much from the book. So, but this is a perfect thing to make a long running TV series. As a remake today. Yeah, look, it's an intriguing story. University students Dexter and Emily, they're going to university in Edinburgh. They finally meet on graduation day. They no, they didn't come across each other in during their years at uni. Dexter says, Oh, I've, I've seen you around, but um she keeps asking, Well, where did you see me? <laughs> Why didn't you say something? But uh, <laughs> they end up in bed together that night, okay? And then they subsequently ruin but, but they don't consummate the relationship. Well, I wasn't they, going to give that little spoiler. Oh. <laughs> well, but I, I think that it's it's. It, I don't think it, it, I, I. I didn't want people to think that there were. There is a romance to this, but there's. It, it's 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 not a conventional romance because no, you know they're they're kind of that. Friends, lovers, enemies, they're kind of all over the shop on that spectrum. So it's not what you, what we normally see in this genre. Yeah. Yeah. And they subsequently reunite on the same day every year. Yeah. Um, but look, to me, um, well, apart from 14 episodes, I was just thinking, oh, come on, it's just too daunting for me to get my head around. But, and I didn't find the characters particularly interesting. They looked, quite unsuited for one another from that first episode. I sort of thought, oh, this isn't a couple that's going to work, you know. Um, they just seem to be too different. Emma's clearly the nicer of the two people. Yeah. But I guess there's probably a lot more to the character of Dexter than we initially see. Yeah. I guess that's one of the interesting things that might sort of uh, be rolled out during the show. But I, I had to keep asking myself, why is he hanging around? Right, she's she's not his usual type, as yeah. we soon see. He goes on a after they meet, they they split after that first night. He goes on sort of a shagging holiday in France, yeah. and she's very different to the typical sort of woman he um ends up with. So it just I I just found it very unconvincing. 
Yeah, there, there, there is, uh, there's a lot of chemistry between them, but I put that down to the fact that they're not really having a conventional relationship that, you know, it's the, the whole thing is about, well, what sort of relationship are they going to end up having? Because in actual fact, they seem to relate better to each other as friends and confidence than possibly lovers. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering if that's more the point of the story that maybe boys and girls can be friends together and there doesn't necessarily have to be sex. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I don't know where it's going. Um, but like I was just watching the third episode then thinking, yeah, I'm probably going to watch this to the end just to find out what's going on. And I do like the idea that we're going to, you know, come back a year later and I'm interested to see how things are going to change and how they're going to slightly change the haircuts and hairstyles and all that stuff and fashion to reflect the the change. It's got a great soundtrack to it as well. And I was particularly watching an episode going, there was this guy with this really awful haircut in it and I was looking at him thinking, you look like a dick. And then I was going, actually, I do remember people in the late 80s having hairstyles like that. <laughs> so that's very authentic. Um, and it's good to see Essie Davis in there yeah. uh, playing Dexter's mother too. Yeah, she has a lot of fun with that role, doesn't she? Um, yeah. Uh, Eleanor Tomlinson from Poldark turns up a little later in the series, I think. I haven't seen her yet in the episodes I've seen. Yeah, look, I I, I, I get it that it's going to be interesting to see how the, the characters change each year. But for me, knowing it's only going to be one day, it's like a spoiler. You just know they're never actually going to click as a couple. Yeah. Unless there's a, I believe there might be a twist right at the end. But Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Maybe they'll end up happily married and with kids. I, I don't know, but yeah. I'm not yeah. sure if I'll ever get that far. It's just, there was there was a, there was this great movie back in the seventies that was a bit similar to this. It was called Same Time Next Year, and it was Alan Alder, Alan Alder, and Ellen Burstyn. And it was about a couple about two uh, two people who were both married to other people who were staying at this seaside inn had dinner together, ended up in bed together, and then they would come back every year and have this once-a-night affair for, like, 20 years. And uh, that was a great film. And, and again, you're kind of rooting for that couple to, to get together, but when you get to the end, you kind of – it's not how it ends, but you go, yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, so it's a bit similar to that. Yes, yeah, indeed. Okay, so that's uh, one day – 14 episodes. By the time this uh, TV Gold is published, it will be available on Netflix. Look, let's just finish with a few little bits and pieces. Um, last week, we mentioned a couple of things. Let's let's talk quickly about Nemesis, the second episode. Yeah. The Turnbull years, I guess you saw that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was good, wasn't it? I really enjoyed that. It was um was pretty interesting. The I just don't know if Malcolm Turnbull came out of it all that well, though. Do you do you think? Oh yeah, he's not. He's very arrogant. He's yeah. He's, he's not. Kid? He's not owning up to some of the mistakes that he made. Yeah. He always kind of, you know, he never goes. Yeah, I stuffed up there. He always has a kind of alternate thing. But you know, 
the takeout message for me from that, if you stripped away, there was so much that went on. But look, honestly, the, the takeout message was when he was asked to describe Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison in one word. And I just thought that was fantastic. I mean, to call Peter Dutton a thug is like, wow, that's kind of memorable. And I did, the, the funniest thing I saw on social media afterwards was, you know, he was asked to describe Barnaby Joyce in one word and he thought about it for a while and said, apoplectic and then someone on social media wrote someone's going to need to explain to Barnaby Joyce what apoplectic means and that really made me laugh so yeah there's there's a lot of chatter about it but I still reckon that we're heading towards episode three next week the Scott Morrison one I think that is going to be the one that is going to absolutely blow people's minds in terms of, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk, if the take-home message is that Malcolm Turnbull thinks Peter Dutton is a thug from this one, well, what's going to be the take-home message about Scott Morrison after next week? Yeah. I just don't think anybody really covered themselves in glory, did they? Well, no, that's absolutely true. Barnaby Joyce particularly, you go, oh, come on. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost they're living in an alternate reality about with their own version of what happened without, even though it's a past, they're not far enough away from it to look yeah. at it dispassionately and um, maybe, you know, tell the truth of what really happened. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if you've – a part of uh, going back and doing a post-mortem on what went wrong is to actually tell the truth about these things and go, yeah, you know what, we did yeah. stuff up there. Yeah. Um, and that's how you – make things better for the future. And you're right, I, I, I don't see that there is a lot of that going on at the moment. There's still a lot of ass covering going on, a lot of excuses being made, and, um, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, big time. Yeah, they're all still sort of covering up what mistakes might have been made and, and yeah, just not talking frankly about it. Um, but, you know, if we go back to what we've just talked about with Mr Bates versus The Office, yeah. If there's some Australian producers out there thinking about doing a new drama that will really tug at the heartstrings and get people going, how did this miscarriage of justice happen? Robo dead anybody? Mm. Clearly, there would be some sort of miniseries in some of those victims of robo-debt because exactly the same thing happened to them. They yeah. got sent a, a thing in the mail saying, you owe the government this much money, you need to pay this money back. And we know from the testimony of the Royal Commission that that affected a lot of families and that people committed suicide over that. And there must be some stories in there in a, in a, in a similar vein uh, at some point to, to tell if someone's looking for a new series yeah yeah good call and just finally from me um we talked a bit about the greatest night in pop yep on, um netflix and i had a look at that yesterday again that was something i started to watch it and i thought uh, it's very slow it was one song it's an hour and a half come on but then again i the following day i thought i gave it another crack and actually it's re really interesting I, mean, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Yeah. I did see this morning someone say, I've started watching this show and the way the Americans are patting themselves on the back for doing this groundbreaking yeah. thing without mentioning 
that the Brits had done it in the UK with Band-Aid, do they know it's Christmas, just a few months beforehand. They said the fact that they're not referencing that is really quite staggering. Have you seen every, any mem- mention of it yet? Yeah, it's actually a, maybe it's the voiceover at the very start. They say how this just happened. Right. The Band-Aid single. I didn't realise how close they were. Yeah, they were pretty they, close together. Yeah, and they said the Americans said, look, we've got to do something, you know, we've we've got to get motivated. So there was some acknowledgement. Okay. I will watch it. I haven't had time yet, but I will watch it. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's very much a Lionel Richie um, movie in a way or a documentary because he was a, one of the key instigators. Um, he sort of oversaw the um, recording session. Um, but um, it's it's great. There's there's some great footage of the actual recording session, and then there's subsequent interviews with a few of the key people, and Lionel Richie is one of them. Um, Huey Lewis was a bit of a surprise package. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's great. He looks very different now. He's got a little beard and obviously he's a lot older. Um, but but he was good. It was fascinating seeing that. And uh, Bruce Springsteen talks too. It was good hearing him. And there's some great footage. There's no interview with Bob Dylan, sadly, but there's some great footage of Bob Dylan, the sort of, you know, the, the recluse coming to grips with being in a room full of people. Uh, when it got to him singing his bit, they had to clear the studio. He couldn't handle it. <laughs> so everybody was out and it was just him. And I think it was Stevie Wonder accompanying him on the keyboard. So, But it's just a fascinating little glimpse of that. It is, it is long. And, and a bit drawn out, but it is, it's just a lot of detail you get to learn. Do you know that in the five years of working at Channel V and Music Max, <laughs> Lionel Richie was the nicest person I ever met? Really? Lionel Richie's one of those guys that walks into the room and goes over and introduces himself to the sound guy and asks what his name is and then goes over and shakes the cameraman's hand. And then I remember we did the interview and when the interview was over, he sat and had a bit of a chat and we were up in this skyscraper in Sydney at the hotel and he looked out to the harbour and he said, doesn't anybody in Sydney ever go to work? Who are all these people in those boats out there on the harbour? Like, oh, it's a Tuesday. Why isn't anyone at work? He was. Just the loveliest, loveliest guy. Um, and, yeah, it always struck me because I was never that much of a Lionel Richie fan. But then after I met him, when he walked out the room, the camera guy and the sound guy, we, we all looked at each other and went, wow, wasn't he? Wasn't he a guy? So, yeah, it, it's, it's no surprise at all that Lionel Richie was the guy behind Band-Aid because I think he is one of the genuine nice guys in the music biz. Yeah, well, that certainly comes across in um, The Greatest Night in Pop. Okay, Andrew, look, thank you. Great to be with you again. Have you got anything else you want to leave us with? You, will you be writing about Mr. Bates versus the Post? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, with that, with a cast like that, very much so. And a shout out to Neighbours. How's this for um, a gotcha moment? When Neighbours came back, Channel 10 News went to the set to film some stuff, and they ran a, a, a scene that they shouldn't have run. It was a mistake. They didn't realise they were doing it. Yeah. But the fans froze the frame <laughs> and looked at what was happening in that scene, and there was enough 
stuff in that two-second moment of footage that gave away who was going to die in Neighbours. It was a, they were filming a funeral. Right. And, you know, it meant that this big who was going to die in Neighbours last week, which turned out to be David, or one half of uh, the gay couple who got married in the first legal same-sex marriage on Australian TV. Um, he uh, died last Thursday. And, but the fans, had already known because they'd looked at this freeze frame and had been chatting online. So it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that, you know, the best intentions of let's get 10 news to do a story on neighbours actually turned out to be a plot spoiler, but they didn't realise what they were doing. And, you know, um, so yeah, the, the surprise element was taken away, but yeah, they've, they've, Neighbours does death really well. And, uh, yeah, the performances on Monday, uh, Monday's episode were just so amazing from the cast. So, but yeah, isn't that amazing that the fans can actually zoom in on a picture? There was a photo on a table and they zoomed in on that photo and put two and two together. Just goes to show. Yeah, it's interesting because I sometimes wonder, you know, oh, do they really need to be this secretive? And, but yeah, you can. I mean, in the, the slightest slip-up can be a bit of a plot spoiler and yeah. wreck some of the suspense, I guess, for the for the fans. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right, look, this has been the TV Gold podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Tell your friends to jump on if you are if you feel inclined. Make sure you follow the podcast so you get automatic updates. The episodes usually drop online around Thursday each week. We have some bonus episodes every now and then. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, or any of the um, podcast platforms. You can read Andrew's column every Friday morning at mediaweek.com.au and in the Media Week Morning Report, which goes out every morning. Andrew, we'll see you next week. Thanks, James. Have a great week.